God, we pray this afternoon, God, that your presence, your Holy Spirit would come right now into this place, Lord. Father, begin to touch our hearts, God. Change us, Lord God. Lord, rearrange things in our life, Lord, so that we can see clearly, we can operate clearly, oh God. Lord, I pray for anyone that's here today that God needs peace in their heart, in their life. That God, by the end of this service today, they would be willing to give up, Lord, those things that are creating anxiety and fear in their life, God. Leave it at the foot of the cross and walk out a free person, Lord. God, we declare today freedom in the house, Lord. Freedom in our lives, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you will finish that which you've started in us. We give you praise, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord God. Come on, somebody, give the Lord some praise and thanksgiving today. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, and I'm going to continue to talk about anxiety. And you say, why would you talk about anxiety during the holidays? Because the holidays create a lot of anxiety. And the reason why the holidays create a lot of anxieties because we overeat, we don't rest, and then we really are with people that we love to love at it from a distance, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's really helpful to understand that God understands that things can get pretty stressful around the holidays, but God wants us to know the Prince of Peace. He wants us to operate in peace and not in fear. He wants us to operate in peace and not in anxiety. And I know a lot of people are struggling these days with anxiety. And so for the last several weeks, we've been looking at anxiety. And I would encourage you, if you've not listened to any of the messages, we started two weeks ago. And um, I really believe it's a very holistic approach to anxiety. It's a very holistic approach to dealing with stress in our life. The first week, we had a, a panel with a professional Christian psychologist and some other Folks, it really well-rounded the panel. Then we had a seminar at night on Sunday night. It was well-attended, amazing how many people came out. And then last week, we began to talk about taking care of the whole you and that we recognize that anxiety is linked and connected to all of who we are and that if we don't take care of ourselves physically, we're going to feel it emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And so we said if we're going to overcome stress and anxiety in our life, then we're going to need to learn how to take care of ourselves physically, our body. Because our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we need to take care of our body because it's connected to our mind, it's connected to our heart, it's connected to our emotions and to our soul. And so we need to learn how to exercise. And if we exercise, it actually takes the stress level down. Or we even say the stress devil down, right? And then... If we eat well, if we're not eating well, it can create anxiety in our life. You know, there's certain foods that trigger anxiety in our life. And then we talked about getting rest, getting the, 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 the needed rest in our life because when our body is tired, uh, we're more prone to be anxious in our life. And then we talked about taking care of our mind and how do we take care of our mind you know, Paul the Apostle tells us that we're to renew our mind, we're to retrain our mind, we're to reteach our mind. 
how to react, respond, and understand the will of God in our life. Not only are we to retrain our mind and renew our mind and reteach our mind, but we need to also recognize that we need to be honest with people. We need to be honest about the things that cause us stress in our life. We need to confess, as the Bible says, our faults, our sins, our struggles, our anxieties. We need to confess it one to another that we might be healed. And I tell you what, I'm a part of a one group, and a one group is a small group. You know, we have five services, including the um, young adult service on Sunday nights, and we're going to be going to the sixth service soon with the Spanish satellite that we're starting. And, you know, we've probably got about 2,500 people who call this home. And the, and the larger we become as a church, the smaller we, we need to become in groups. And so we need to learn how to encourage one another and love each other in small groups. And so I call them one groups. Um, once a month, we get together and have one meal with one group of people, and we encourage one another. And during the month, we pray for one another, we call each other, we do life together, and it's just a wonderful thing. And I thank God for my one group. I've been uh, a part of this one group for many years, and this Friday night was wonderful. And we got together, and we started to talk about last week's sermon, and we talked about dealing with anxiety, dealing with stress. And we were honest with each other. I mean, literally just really sharing uh, what we're anxious about and, and what are the unhealthy things that we do when we, we're dealing with anxiety and how do we become healthy when it comes to dealing with anxiety. And then we prayed for one another. If you're not a part of a one group, you need to get into a one group. It's, it's, it's really essential. It's life-changing for you. And then we talked about taking care of the soul. The Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he forfeits his soul? And, and we've got to recognize that our soul needs care. We need to tend to our soul so that we can be healthy and deal with anxiety. Now, Paul the Apostle, in Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, he gives us some powerful principles of dealing with anxiety in our life. So I want you to look at Philippians 4, if you're not there already, and I want you to mark it up in your word. And Paul the Apostle tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he said, pray right. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Then he said, think right. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think. Everybody say think. Think about such things. And then he says, praying right leads to thinking right, and thinking right leads to doing what is right. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. He said, practice. Everybody say practice. He said, practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord, he said. And again, I tell you, be happy in God. Learn how to sing. Learn how to celebrate the Lord. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Now, when Paul says, let your gentle spirit mean be known to all men, what he's saying is, is let your peaceful, restful spirit be known to all men. And he says, the reason why you can let people know that you're at peace 
is because you know that the Lord is near. So let's unpackage that. The first thing Paul says is learn how to sing, learn how to celebrate, learn how to rejoice in the Lord. I'm praying that God will give you a song in the middle of your stressful situation in life. Come on, somebody help me out. I'm praying that when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, when you're going through a fiery trial in your life, instead of complaining, you'll start singing. Come on, somebody. You'll start singing, how great thou art. You'll start singing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. You'll start singing the praises of God. Why? Because Paul says, why should I be so downcast? Why should I be so burdened with all these troubles? He said, I'm going to put my trust in God. And how do I do that? I put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Friends, I want you to know that praise will change your life. Are you with me today? Did I come to the right church today? He says, I want you to learn how to rejoice in the Lord. He said, again, I want to tell you, learn how to sing in the Lord. Learn how to praise the Lord in the midst of your problems and your circumstances in your life. He said, and let your gentleness or your peaceful spirit, let other people see that you're gentle. Let other people see that everything's good, man. You know what I'm talking about. Everything, Ari, man, soon come. No problem. Don't be worried about anything. Why? He tells us why. Because the Lord is near. He said, I want, you to, I want you to recognize that you can rejoice in the Lord and you can have a peace-filled spirit because the Lord is near. What does he mean by that? He says, listen, you can rejoice and be peaceful because no matter what you're going through in your life, the Lord promises you that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to abandon you. He's going to walk with you. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. Come on. Paul said, no matter what you're going through in your life, Jesus is not going to abandon you. I love what Namit said in the second service. He said, if Jesus didn't abandon you on the cross, He's not going to leave you now. Friend, I want you to know God is not going to leave you. He's going to walk with you into that situation in your life. And he's never going to leave you. But, but Paul says, listen, not only is the Lord with you, but the Lord is coming back as well. When he said the Lord is near, he meant this. He meant that when you look at this world, you can get discouraged. When you look at this world, you can become fearful. When you look at this world, man, this world is a scary place. He said, but don't look down. Don't look at the world. Look up because your redemption doeth nigh. Hallelujah. I want you to know that Jesus is coming again. He knows what's going on in this world. He's in control and he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. He's coming back for you. And Paul the Apostle said, that's good enough to be peaceful and that's good enough to put a song in your heart to rejoice in the Lord. And again, he said, I tell you, rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near. Come on, somebody. Come on, help me out today. This is only my fourth sermon I'm preaching today. You see, the truth is, Paul tells us that we are not to be anxious about anything. Now, a lot of pastors would tell you that Paul is commanding us, he's demanding that we're not anxious, and if, and if we're anxious, we're living in sin. But, you know, I don't really see that that Paul is like coming down on us and saying, don't you be anxious about anything. And if you are, you're, you're a sinner. I think he's lovingly encouraging us, knowing that we live in a real world. 
I think Paul the Apostle is coming alongside of us and he's saying, man, you don't have to, you don't have to be overwhelmed with anxiety. He said, because I'm going to give you the keys to, to the pathway of peace in your life. He said, if you do this, I know that your anxiety level is going to go down. And the peace that passes all understanding is going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so God doesn't say to you, man up, suck it up, get over it, and don't be a wimp. He knows that life sometimes can knock you down. How many of you have gotten knocked down in life a couple of times? Come on. If you haven't, you can come and preach next week because, man, I got knocked down a couple of times. But he said, don't be anxious because the Lord is right there, because the Lord is beside you. He's ready to help. He's ready to support you. He's ready to fill you with his spirit. He's ready to encourage you. He's ready to pick you up again so that you can keep on going on. Notice again what Paul tells us. He tells us to rejoice, to be glad, and he says, don't be anxious about anything. Everybody say anything. Everybody say anything means everything. He said, don't be anxious about sickness. Don't be anxious about work. Don't be anxious about your future. Don't be anxious about your failure. Don't be anxious about your marriage. Don't be anxious about your kids. Oh, boy, that's a big one. Don't be anxious about your son or daughter. Don't be anxious about your children. That's a big one. I know there's some kids, man, they make you lose all your hair. And some of you, I can tell, man, you've got a lot of stress from your kids. You know, I said it in the first, second, and third service. I'm so thankful for my kids. Hallelujah. They haven't caused a lot of stress in my life. I'm so thankful. But, man, there are some kids, man, they give you a run for the money. And, man, you can be overwhelmed with just, you know, what's going on with my kids? And are they going to be safe? Are they doing the right thing? And you could be so overwhelmed by that. And Paul says, I don't want you to be overwhelmed by your kids. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by your future. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by anything. But he tells us, if you pray right, if you think right, if you live right, and if you do right, then you can have peace in your life. And so he says, don't be anxious about anything, but he tells us what to do. He says, you have to pray about everything. And he says, and you've got to pray the right way. Listen to me. There's a lot of people that pray every day, and they're more anxious after they prayed than when they started praying. There's a whole world of people that are praying. You know, you can pray and pray and pray and pray and still be anxious. Why? Because you're praying wrong. There's a lot of people that pray like this. Oh, God! Why me, God? Not again, God. I don't deserve this, God. Are you up there, God? Are you listening to me? Lord, this is not fair. Lord, you know I have this problem. You know I have this financial problem. You know I have this sickness problem. You know I have a marriage problem. You know I have all these problems in my life. On and on and on and on and on. And then you get up and you go, man, I got a lot of problems in my life. Because you just re reminded yourself of all the problems that you have in your life. But you haven't prayed with thanksgiving in your life. You haven't prayed the right way. And when God doesn't answer your prayer, you get even more anxious. Why? Because you're not praying right. There's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. And some people just pray with complaining, with grumbling and complaining. Some people keep on reminding God of their problem. Some people simply beg God for their miracle. But they don't pray with faith and trust and peace with thanksgiving. And as a result, they actually get more anxious than when they started praying. 
I'm reminded of the people of Israel. I'm reminded about what the Bible says in Hebrews about the people of Israel. The, the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews, he says this. He says, all the people that came out of Egypt, they saw the mighty miracles of God. They saw what God did, but they didn't mix their prayer with faith. And as a result of not mixing their prayer with faith, they all died in the desert. There was a whole generation that died in the desert. And he said that God said to them, you will never enter into my rest. What was rest? It was entering into the promised land, enjoying the rest of God, enjoying the blessings of God, being at peace. He said, you'll never enter into that rest. Why? Because you're not living a life of faith. You're not living a life of trust. And you're not praying the right prayer, believing and thanking God that God's going to provide for you. Did you notice what the Israelites did every time they got into a difficult situation? Every time they got into a hard situation? Listen to me. This these are the people, I've never seen God do this before. These are the people that saw God deliver them with a mighty hand. These are the people that were at the, the, the foot of the Red Sea and there were enemies coming on every side and Moses prayed. He lifted up a stick and parted the Red Sea. Bam! And they walked. Staying alive, staying alive. <laughs> and they walked through the Red Sea. I, I want to try that one, one day. I'm going to go to Long Beach and try that. They saw, they saw God do some incredible things. And yet, every time they hit a brick wall, every time they hit a circumstance, a situation that tested their faith, instead of thanking God for what God had done in the past, instead of reminding themselves that God had been good to them, instead of reminding themselves that God is always faithful, instead of praising God and thanking God, they started to grumble and complain. God, look, we need some water and we can't get water out of this rock. Moses, you're a terrible leader. How is it that you would bring us all this way to die in the desert? You see? They were praying, but they were praying the wrong way. They were crying out to God, but they weren't crying out to God with faith. And God said, because of your lack of trust and your unbelief, you will go around and around and around and around again into the, in the desert, and you will never enter into my peace. And there are a lot of people that just keep on running around and around and around and around. And they're filled with anxiety and they're filled with fear because they're not praying right. But notice what Paul says. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray with thanksgiving. Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. In other words, don't give anxiety a pass in your life. Now, I know for the last two weeks, I've been talking about anxiety and saying, listen, we all confront anxiety in our life. We struggle at times. But, but Paul's saying, don't give it a pass in your life. Don't just say, look, you know, I'm just an anxious person. That's, the, that's my makeup. That's my personality. That's my temperament. You know, my, my mother was anxious and my father was anxious and my, my forefathers were anxious. And it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so, you know, I, I'm stuck with anxiety. No, no, no. He said, don't give anxiety a pass. Don't let the devil get a foothold. Don't let anxiety be rooted in your life. But do something about it. Be proactive. And he says, and the way that you can be proactive is by making prayer, listen to me, a priority in your life. Listen to me, look at me. Prayer is the most important thing in your life. 
There is nothing more important in your life than prayer. Nothing. Prayer connects you to God. Prayer changes your focus. It changes your attitude. It changes everything. It changes your perspective in life. It's your lifeline. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask anything and it shall be done. You can't be fruitful without prayer in your life. It's your, it's, it's your means of re relating and responding and knowing God. You can't know God without prayer. You can't know peace without prayer. No prayer, no peace. N-O, no prayer, no. N-O, no peace, no prayer. K-N-O-W, no peace. K-N-O-W. You'll know peace when you know prayer. Come on. And you can't know God without prayer. So Paul the Apostle says, make prayer a priority in your life. I'm going to tell you that some of you struggle with anxiety because you think you're too busy to pray. You're too busy not to pray. You got too many problems not to pray. You got too many struggles and issues in your life not to pray. I remember, and I, and I recognize in my own personal life that I'm nothing without prayer. The prayer is the breath of my life. And friend, I want to tell you that prayer will change your life. Prayer will change everything. It'll change your heart. It'll quiet your soul. It'll make you keenly aware of God's presence in your life. Prayer will change your perspective. Prayer will change the channel in your mind. It'll stop the devil from bombarding your heart. Prayer will surround you with peace. Prayer will defeat the mental giants of your life. And prayer is the key to everything in your life. That's why Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, you say if. See, some of us, we take that as a, an option or a suggestion. But Jesus said, when you pray, enter into your prayer closet and pray to your Father who sees in secret and he will reward you openly. I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus begins the whole chapter with prayer. And he tells us how to pray. He tells us when you pray, not if you pray, but as you pray, Go into your prayer closet, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that's the only place you should pray because the Bible says pray without ceasing. That means that you pray all the time. You're aware of God's presence every day, every moment of your life. You're aware of the presence of God. You can pray anywhere. You don't have to just pray in your prayer closet. I know some people like, just let me, let me go in my prayer closet. Lock the door. Let me stay in there. That's, I don't want to come out. Just, you know, just give me a trap door and feed me underneath. I don't even want to pray. But that's not normal and that's not healthy. You need to go to work. Please, go to work. But at work, you can pray. On the way to work, you can pray. Be aware of the presence of God in your life. But he also talks about that secret place that you need to go. Go enter into the prayer closet. Go into that secret place and be still and know that he is God. And spend time with the Lord and focus on the Lord and focus on the promises of God. And read the word. Get it into your spirit. And spend time with God Almighty. And then he says, and this is how you should pray. Jesus, so when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
God, you're above every situation in my life. God, I'm coming to you today, and I'm telling you, God, thank you, Lord God, that you're above every situation. You're above my children. You're above my finances. You're above my marriage. You're above my struggles. You're above my pain. You're above my everything in, in, in my life, Lord. You're above all those things. You're higher, Lord God, greater than all those things in my life, Lord. And he said, and after you pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, then pray. Your will be done, not my will, but your will be done in my life. In other words, Lord, I'm leaving it up to you, Lord. God, I don't want my will to be done. Can you imagine the stress that can be relieved in your life when you stop playing God, when you stop being God, and you let God be God in your life? Lord, I don't want my will to be done. Your will be done in my life. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, not on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today my pasta fazul. Lord, I need my daily bread, God. Lord, I'm coming to you today, and I'm asking you for the things that I need, God. And Lord, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trust. Lord, I'm not going to have a bitter heart, Lord. I'm not going to have an unforgiving heart. Listen to me. Most of the anxiety that we have in our life is due to the fact that we're not letting go of something that somebody did to us in the past. And Jesus says, let it go so you can have peace in your life. Lead, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me. God, you know I'm prone to the temptation in my life, Lord God. Lead me, Lord God, out of temptation and lead me into victory. Now, I want you to notice Matthew chapter 25, or Matthew verse 25, 625. Jesus says, therefore, so he talks about prayer. He talks about the priority of prayer. He talks about how to pray. Notice verse 25. Listen to what he says. He says, therefore, it's there for a reason. I tell you, do not worry about your life. Look at the connection between making prayer a priority, praying the right way, and then coming out, being filled with peace and trust and faith. Therefore, don't be worried about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add one single hour to your life? Listen to me. When you worry, you don't add hours to your life. You detract hours from your life. You take it away. Because instead of enjoying your kids, instead of enjoying your life, instead of doing the work of the kingdom, you're so worried about the stuff in your life that it's stealing your hours away from you. Nothing steals your time more than worry in your life. But here's the way that Jesus tells us to, to actually overcome worry in our life. He says, you take care of my world and I'll always take care of your world. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're worried about. I'll give them to you. You see, I learned a long time ago that if I get involved and if I get busy and if I stay busy taking care of God's world, he'll always take care of my world. 38 years I've been in the ministry. I know you say, wow, you don't look more than 25 years old. Praise God. Just keep on lying to me. I like it. I like it. 38 years. Listen, here's what I've learned, Kenny. Here's what I've learned. I've learned if I take care of God's world, he always takes care of my world. I'm still here, hallelujah. He's taking care of me. A check comes in the mail. I wasn't expecting that, but God knew I needed it before I even knew I needed it. And God gave it to me, hallelujah. Why? Because I'm taking care of his world. 
He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're worried about. I'll give it to you. Listen to me. You take care of God's world. And you don't have to worry about your world. He'll take care of your world. Come on, somebody. Come on. Give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you, God. Come on, say with me. God, you're going to take care of my world. Right? So he tells us that we ought to pray. And then he says, pray right. And, and how do we pray right? Well, he gives us an example but then he tells us, Paul the Apostle gives us the strategy. And so he tells us, when we pray, we pray, we ask the Lord. He says, be anxious about nothing, nothing. He says, but in prayer, so make prayer a priority. He said, with petition and thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God that you can't understand will guard your heart and your mind. In Christ Jesus, petition, bring your needs to God with thanksgiving. Listen to me. Thanksgiving is the key to effective prayer. We bring to God everything in our life. Listen to me. You will never, ever, ever overcome anxiety as long as you're a grumbler and a complainer. Why? Because grumblers and complainers are experts at seeing all the bad things in life. No wonder you're so stressed out. Everything in life you see is negative, is bad. And we grumble about it, just like the people of Israel. They grumbled and complained. And here's what happens when you grumble and complain. You become contagious. Are you contagious today? I want you to know that I got a little cold this week. You know why? Because somebody that I came in contact, it might have been you. Somebody that I came in contact was contagious and passed the, the, the cold bug onto me. Somebody loved me a little too much. And you know, the truth is, when you complain, you become contagious. You know, I'm reminded of the story in the Bible of the Israelites. They were in the desert for 40 years, and finally, okay, Actually, the first time they're in the desert, it's not 40 years, and they get to the, the doorstep of the promised land, and, and, and then they got to go around another 40 years. But, but, but the first time they get to the promised land, and God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to choose 12 men, leaders of Israel, and I want you to tell them to go into the promised land, and I want them to look at all the great things that are awaiting them. And I want them to come back with a great report. God didn't send them in there so that they can see the giants and the obstacles in their life. God sent them into the promised land so that God could show them this is the opportunity, this is the possibility, this is all that is awaiting you if you go in with faith. So they go into the promised land and the Bible says 12 men went in, 10 came back out, and 10 said to all the people, we can't go into that promised land. Oh yeah, there's good things, but see, they chose to see the bad, not the good. See, that's a negative person, that's a pessimistic person, that's a grumbler and a complainer. Somebody who sees all the negative in life. I'm, I'm telling you, you got to learn how to see the right things in life so that you'll have the right words coming out of you. And the Bible tells us that they came back, 10 of them and the Bible says they spread their negativity they spread a bad report throughout all the camp and by the time it was nighttime the Bible says they were all weeping and wailing saying why did God bring us out here to leave us out in this desert to die they were contagious 
I want to ask you a question. Are you contagious? Are you a contagious grumbler and complainer? Listen, science is discovering something that Paul the Apostle knew 2,000 years ago. So I did some research on grumbling and complaining. Stay with me for about 10 more minutes and we're done. Are you ready? I read this article and I think it's so powerful that you need to read it. So sit up a little bit, okay? See, this is the afternoon service, so that means you already ate breakfast. Come on, you had your Wheaties. Listen what it says. Research. This is an article I read, scientific article. This is not a Christian article. It's a scientific article. Research shows that most people complain once a minute during a typical conversation. Complaining is tempting because it feels good. But like many other things that are enjoyable, such as smoking or eating a pound of bacon and ice cream for breakfast. I added the ice cream. Complaining isn't good for you. Your brain loves efficiency and doesn't like to work any harder than it has to. When you repeat a behavior such as complaining, your neuron branch or neurons branch out to each other to ease the flow of information. This makes it much easier to repeat the behavior in the future. So easy, in fact, that you might not even realize that you're complaining. You can't blame your brain, though, scientists say. Who'd want to build a temporary bridge every time you need to cross a river? It makes a lot more sense to construct a permanent bridge so your neurons grow closer together and the connections between them become more permanent. Scientists like to describe this process as neurons that fire together, wire together. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Over time, you find it easier to be negative than positive, regardless of what is happening around you. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people see you or perceive you. And here's the kicker. Complaining damages other areas of your brain as well. Research from Stanford University has shown that complaining shrinks your hippocampus, an area of the brain that is critical to problem solving and intelligent thought. Damage to the hippocampus is scary, especially when you consider that it's the one, one of the primary brain areas that is destroyed by Alzheimer's. Complaining is also bad for your health. While it's not an exaggeration to say that complaining leads to brain damage, it doesn't stop there. When you complain, your body releases the stress hormone cortisol. Cortisol shifts you into fight or flight mode, directing oxygen, blood, and energy away from everything but the system that are essential to immediate survival. One effect of cortisol, for example, is to raise your blood pressure and blood sugar so that you'll be prepared to either escape or defend yourself. All the extra cortisol released by frequent complaining impairs your immune system and makes you more susceptible to high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. It even makes your brain more vulnerable to strokes. It doesn't just affect you, though. Since human beings are inherently social, our brains naturally and unconsciously mimic the moods of those around us, particularly people we spend a great deal of time with. This process is called neuronal mirroring, and it's the basis for our ability to feel empathy. The flip side, however, is that it makes complaining a lot like smoking. 
You don't have to do it yourself to suffer the ill effects. You need to be cautious about spending time with people who complain about everything. Don't look at your spouse right now. Complainers want people to join their pity party so that they can feel better about themselves. Think of it this way. If a person was smoking, would you sit there all afternoon inhaling secondhand smoke? You distance yourself, and you should do the same with complainers. Now, listen. Here's, here, here's, the, here's the, the, the good news. The solution to complaining. Listen, this is a scientific article. This is not a biblical verse, a passage in the Bible. Listen to what it says. There are solutions to complaining. There are two things you can do when you feel the need to complain. One is to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. That is, when you feel like complaining, shift your attention to something that you're grateful for. Taking time to contemplate what you're grateful for isn't merely the right thing to do. It reduces the stress hormone cortisol by 23%. Research conducted at the University of California found that people who work daily to cultivate an attitude of thankfulness or gratitude experienced improved moods and energy and substantially less anxiety due to lower cortisol levels. Anytime you experience negative or pessimistic thoughts, use this as a cue to shift gears and to think about something positive. In time, listen to me. In time, are you hearing me? A positive attitude or an attitude of gratitude will become a way of life. In time, an attitude of gratitude will become a way of life, a way of believing, of praying, of thinking, of doing, and overcoming anxiety in your life. Notice what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and on. Don't be anxious about anything. Make prayer a priority, and when you pray, pray with thanksgiving. Listen to me. Praying with a thankful heart can help your anxiety, not only spiritually, but physically, because it lowers your blood pressure. It lowers your blood sugar. It helps you to deal with stress in your life in a positive way. But Paul tells us having an attitude of gratitude or having a grateful heart or a thankful heart can help you with anxiety because a thankful person always sees, listen to me, the positive, the possible, and the powerful promises of God. And that's faith, and that will change your life. And so, Paul the Apostle tells us that there's a right way of praying as, as the worship team comes. And he tells us that when we pray... We need to make sure we thank the Lord and we couple that together with what Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to leave you with this last thought. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we are to pray right, think right, do right, thank God in the middle of our prayers, leave those problems and situations up to God. In other words, I come to God and I say, God, here's my situation. God, here's my need, but Lord, I thank you that you've been faithful in the past. I thank you you'll be faithful in the future. 
I thank you, God, for all the things that you've given me in my life. I praise you, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, because you're a good God. You're a mighty God. And I'm giving you the, the thanksgiving that you deserve in my life. I'm entering your courts with thanksgiving and praise God. And I'm thanking you for the answer even before it comes because I'm thanking you that you're a big God. You're a great God. That nothing in the whole world will separate me from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. And you'll finish the work that you started inside of me. Oh, praise God. And when you begin to begin to praise the Lord, it'll change your perspective. It'll change your attitude. It'll change your praying. And listen to what Peter says. And after you've done that, he says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And in due season, he will lift you up. He says, and then after you've done all of that, he says, then I want you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Now, I want you to know there's something very, really interesting about that verse. In the Greek, the word for casting is actually a word that means to thrust off with almost, with violence, thrust off that thing that's weighing you down. You can start playing right now. There we go. There. You feel that anointing? It just came. He says, when you're carrying a load that's too heavy, don't keep on carrying it. See, see, the reason why so many of you are stressed out is you keep on carrying something that God wants to carry for you. You're not strong enough. You're not God. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're not God, I know, because I live with you. You're not God. And you can't carry that load. It's too heavy. You can't carry the load of worrying about your children day and night. You can't carry that load away worrying about your finances. You can't. It's too heavy for you. Peter says, you're to do this. You're to cast it off. That word in the Greek means to take it and throw it off and throw it onto. It's like you, you got this heavy suitcase, that, this heavy bag, and you, you keep on holding on. It's just weighing you down, weighing you down. And finally, you got to get to the point saying, I can't do this anymore. I need it off of me. God says, throw it off of you and cast it on. The Greek word means to cast it onto a beast of burden. In other words, cast it onto a donkey or, or, or a horse or an elephant, something that's stronger than you. Friend, I want you to know that God is stronger than any problem you've got. He's mightier than any situation. He's more glorious than any problem. He's there and he's going to have it for you. Why? Because if he carried the weight of the world on his shoulders, then he can carry your anxiety and your fear. And so he's saying today, you need to cast it off. Give it to me. Give it. Give it to me. Come on. God's saying, give it to me. Why are you carrying your burdens? Why are you carrying your fear of future? Or you fear your failure, or you fear of being sick, or fear of eternity, cast it off and give it to me. Why? He says, cast off all your cares. That word care in the, in the Greek talks about every difficult situation, every simple situation. Cares means everything in our life. So the word for care means everything that you're thinking about. Secular literature often pictures the flinging of a garment or a bag, excess weight on the shoulders that somebody's carrying onto a beast of burden. And, and God says, cast it all up. And when he talks about the, the cares, the word cares in the Greek 
means anything, anything that afflicts you, any difficulty, any hardship, any misfortune, any trouble, any complicated circumstance that arises as a result of a problem that develops in your life. It could refer to your finances, your marriage, your children, whatever. Big or small, difficult, impossible, self-inflicted, give it all to God. Peter says, cast all your cares upon the Lord. Why? Because, here's the, the most important part of this verse, because He cares for you. The word cares is taken from a Greek word that means to be, listen to me, concerned, to be thoughtful, to be interested, to be aware, to notice, to give painful and meticulous attention to. Peter uses this word to assure us that Jesus really does care about everything in my life, everything in your life, heavy or not heavy. In fact, he gives meticulous attention to that which is happening in us at every moment of our life. He's interested in every facet of our life. And so Peter is saying this, listen, as I close. He's saying, take your heavy burden, take your difficulty, your challenges that you're carrying, the one that has arisen due to circumstances that have created hardship or struggles in your life, and fling those worries and those anxieties over on the back of the Lord and let Him carry them for you. For the Lord is extremely interested in every facet of your life and genuinely concerned about your welfare.